Welcome everyone. Today I have with me Mr. Zane Bali and Mr. Tom Fogarty. So Zane, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello listeners, uh, my name is Zane Bally. Uh, I'm content supervisor of the organization CCF, that's Constructive Coalition for the Future. Uh, we are, in short, a response. We're a community of organic content creators here uh, to tell our stories uh, in their nuanced perspective. We're reacting to the top-down, um, very simple, simplistic boxing in of political conversations, and that is political discourse. Uh, our purpose is to give you uh, an on-the-street perspective of your fellow peers and to, to talk about issues that matter uh, in the various ways that they do not uh, come in the six-second sound bit of news media. Very good. Well, my name is Thomas Fogarty. I'm a student here at Ohio State, and um, I essentially will be doing some podcasts on politics, religion, and economics, so you'll be hearing a good lot more from me in the future. But for now, I'll just say that I'm going to echo everything Zane just said about uh, all the political discourse in the modern day. I think when you turn on the news, it's very difficult to get the on-the-street perspective of the average American. Usually, you're just getting it from the rich Americans who are living in today's cities. So we're here to provide that organic perspective, and hopefully we'll be able to lead everybody towards a more honest discussion about some of the most hot topic issues we've got nowadays. Honestly, I couldn't have said that better myself, so I'm just going to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Fahad Butt, a uh, second-year neuroscience student with interests in social dynamics as well as religion and philosophy. So what are we going to be discussing today? So the question for today is, uh, what are the economics of media, mainstream media? And uh, we're all going to go around and give our perspectives. Uh, I'd like to start us off. Um, sure. If you guys have heard of uh, The Attention Merchant by Tim Wu, he talks about... How, uh, I mean, just to give the basics of the economics. So that's how, a book, right? Oh, yeah, it's a book. Um, he's a lawyer at uh, Yale University, an academic, uh, and he basically gives us this story that we are um, the products of social media. They, um, advertisers, use targeted um, systems to sell our information to third parties, uh, what have you, and that our reactions and how we interact with social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, uh, all these different platforms, uh, it is an economic suit. We, our attention is of the highest commodity. And the fact that it can be um, um, caught by these supercharged topics, just like the contentious issues here in the USA, uh, there, there is money behind this and we often don't see the direct effects of it and we often are reacting to the indirect um, processes of uh, attention or being a product of uh, attention merchants buying our opinions selling that data right that's very true and I mean I would echo that most definitely but I'd also say that I think we have the ability to rise above it uh, of course I'm always going to be encouraged encouraging people to get off social media I think social media is a waste of time I think it's a vacuous area for discussion. I don't mm -hmm. think anything meaningful comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right that the second that somebody posts something or they put out a news story that may or may not be true, that's viral. Everybody thinks it's true and everybody operates at, off that. And I think all you need to do is take a look at a few of the media hoaxes we've seen mm -hmm. over the past few months to mm -hmm. understand that a little bit better. So there's nothing to be had in social media. And I would say get off it as soon as possible. No, I, I'm... I tend to use social media actually quite a bit, and uh, I use it for very purposeful things. I 
tend to link up with people who are like-minded and learn from them. Um, tend to I tend to share my opinion and learn from other people's opinion as well. Um, with regards to what Zane was saying about attention merchants, when you said that term, what came into my mind was if you have something that's free, then you are the product, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I've, in the past, uh, over the summer, I made a business. Uh, I tried to sell carpets online and uh, I tried to create advertisements, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it occurred to me that, you know, these advertisements that you see on Facebook, um, the, so the way Facebook works is that through your attention, they sell your time and your attention to other corporations and other advertisers. So you can take this analogy or you can take this, I guess, reality and analogize it to uh, the mainstream mainstream media as well. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to just suck suck up all of your attention. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I was. I'm also reading this one book by Nicholas Nassim Taleb called The Black Swan. Sure. In that book, it says that all events that you see in the media are outlier events, and because they're outlier events, they don't they don't necessarily represent what's on the ground. So the more you listen to the media, the more you consume it, the more misrep, the more you're misinformed about what's actually going on on the ground. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely, and. I'm also going to, of course, plug another book I would highly recommend, which is called Sold on Language. Mm -hmm. And that book's actually more about the advertising aspect of these sorts of things. But essentially, there's any number of different things people could do to get your attention. I mean, you're exposed nowadays to upwards of 3,000 messages a day. And most people screen out about 95% of those messages. So what media people, what advertisers, what they have to do is they have to resort to hot topic type of uh, imagery, hot topic type of uh, wordage and Mm -hmm. that type of stuff in order to get your attention. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean? They'll manipulate the sort of senses you approach things with, even the sounds they make, the images they display, and the language they use, their syntax is going to affect how you perceive it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you read a book on it or watch a documentary about it, you may not realize it when you're seeing the advertisement, but there's so much going on there that's getting you to either buy the product or listen to the story. Mm-hmm. And maybe even to build on that, uh, talking about the ways in which they catch our attention, I think it's important to uh, uh, know how, um, who are the main pushers, uh, who, who are the main creators, who drive this. Mm-hmm. So we know mainstream media, um, Fox News, MSNBC, right. CNN, uh, a lot of people, especially in the older generations, uh, they pay attention to that. So uh, for, especially for us younger folk, it's social media. And mm-hmm. I went to this um, forum called the Head Fake, or not Head Fake, Fake News Forum uh, that will, Fake News gives you a head fake. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Fake News Forum uh, was put on by uh, the Poli Sci College uh, this last fall. And um, there was a panelist of experts, a uh, philosopher, um, two translational uh, data scientists and what they found uh, they wanted to see uh, who was pushing the most content on these social media platforms whether it be Facebook Twitter Instagram they found that uh, now you can I can provide the links uh, in the description but they found that 10% of the content creators were moving 90% of the traffic and that included what was being talked about on these these supercharged topics uh, of the day and um, uh, advertisers obviously would love this and they they compared data of uh, economics uh, product uh, economic data that uh, showed 
products purchased in the aftermath. And it was a really interesting comparison mm -hmm. to see the system in action, to see how attention um, influences behavior and how behavior uh, uh, influences purchase. Right. It's kind of like the Pareto principle, right? That 20% of the causes produce 80% of the effects. Mm -hmm. I was, yeah, I was going to mm -hmm. say the same thing. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pareto principle. But, I mean, going off of what you're saying, though, the um, that's part of why I think there's a lot of risk mm -hmm. here. Because what you're dealing with is stuff that you won't be able to realize is going to affect you that can have some very bad causes and that I think won't ultimately help you in the long run. What do you mean by risk? Well, what I mean is that... You risk know, associated with what? Social media? Oh, yeah. Risk associated with social media. And the use of it. Exactly. And I myself used to be a social media user. I was a heavy user. But what I found myself doing was I would wake up in the morning and I would sit and I would look at my phone and I would just scroll down and I was I was always drawn just by the urge just to look at these pictures because I wanted to see the fake lives that these people were advertising or I wanted to see some story or some uh, retweet that somebody had. Mm -hmm. And I realized that none of this was giving me good information. None of this was giving me credible information. All it was making me uh, do was act more resentful towards people or it was just misleading me in a certain direction. And I think all of these factors are at play here to the extent where I'm not saying people can't control themselves at all. I'm saying they can, and I encourage them to do so. But what I'm saying, and I think most people would agree, is that these are designed so that you are addicted to them. They are designed to keep you on your phone at night. They're designed mm -hmm. to keep you talking. Uh, and I think obviously the misleading stuff is probably more of a byproduct of it that none of the makers of the social media could have mm -hmm. anticipated. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think the same with the information exchange, mm -hmm. because I don't think anybody like Mark Zuckerberg uh, originally thought that people would be able to gain information like that and then sell it to other people and that mm -hmm. they'd be able to use it to the extent that they did. I mean, it's gotten so out of hand at this point. You know, you look at something like Cambridge Analytica. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you guys know about Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, yeah. No. Facebook lost a bunch of user data. Yeah. Well, what is Cambridge Analytica? So they're an organization that essentially collects data. Uh, they collect data on users from places like Facebook. Facebook sells them the data. And once marketers and pretty much anybody has that information. So I had that information when I was selling my carpets. Yeah. Yeah, and I was using that against them. Like, for example, I I had a carpet that was specifically designed for toddlers, so right. I was targeting pregnant mothers. Right. Mm -hmm. And Facebook somehow was able to tell me who's mm -hmm. pregnant. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and people, you give that away. I mean, how many people read the terms and conditions anymore? No. Or how no many one. people Absolutely really think no about one. what they put on their profile, yeah. you yeah. know, thinking that, oh, only a few of my followers will see it. Mm -hmm. Well, no, some, some random person at the other side of the world who is either trying to sell you something or, in a lot of cases, even trying to scam you is going to get that information and they're going to be able to use it. Mm -hmm. But even, but there's a, a lot of positive effects of social media as well. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So it offers an alternative to mainstream media. For example, have you ever seen like a viral tweet mm -hmm. that came out of nowhere mm -hmm. that did not come from a, a news outlet mm -hmm. that told the truth about a situation that's going on? Well, I've never seen that. No. You've never seen that? Not that's told the truth. Probably that's told some more inflated lie or that's used something from one of the mainstream media outlets, but never that's told the truth. But there are there has to be tweets that do tell the truth. Okay, so that's one of the effects that social media has, that mm -hmm. it gives a voice to the layman, right? And 
uh, a lot of our our own media will be shared through social media, right? Sure. So, like, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, there is certainly a trade-off, and I understand where you're coming from in that respect. I just tend still not to think that it's necessary if you want to gain success either for your business or personally, because your you know, attention is valuable. Sure. And you should value like you should value your own time, and you should have your own. You should have a lot of self-respect. Yeah. And if you have all these things, you'll value your own time, you'll value your attention, and yeah. you won't just go wasting it on social media. Mm-hmm. Purposeless. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what makes me, what kind of grinds my gears is when I see people in class scrolling on their Instagram feeds. Yeah. Okay. Instagram, out of all social media, I think is the worst. Mm-hmm. Because Most definitely. You're not even reading anything. You're just looking at like pictures and memes and videos. Yeah, okay. that's true. And, well, I would say... What would you what would you guys say is probably the best social media out of the ones that are the most popular? Um, in terms of connect connectivity, I would say Facebook. Uh, a lot I know a lot of my family and generally from commentators, it's used for that social purpose. You want to see what other people are doing, and then Twitter is more of the political discourse. You, you see, the they drive most of the news. And yeah, and I mean the president uses it, so I I got to stick in sometimes just yeah. to see what's being said. Tom, what do you think? Because you don't use social, you're like an anti-social media advocate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say the only one that I would grant some credence to is LinkedIn because people, (laughs) you know, they're not, you're not really posting anything viral on LinkedIn. You're you're getting connected to employers. Check out my new resume, dude. (laughs) Right, you know, somebody could check out your CV. But again, obviously, you know, if you want to just go the old-fashioned way, Mm -hmm. I'm a very old-fashioned person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just tend to email it to them or to go in and give it to them. But people use emails still? Oh, I still use email. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're gonna think I'm, I'm I'm 70 just by the way I'm talking about this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, email is a way to get across. And you know, people, people, they always tell me, Tom, you gotta get Snapchat. And I'm like, why, why do I need Snapchat? So you can talk to people. Well, I have, I have a cell phone for that. I can just text you. I don't need, you know, a, a Snapchat for that, any of that kind of stuff. Right. Actually, yeah, that's a good. Uh, I forgot to mention Snapchat. Snapchat's big as well. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, Snapchat is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Snapchat is on the same level as Instagram. Don't mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my go-to is probably Twitter. You yeah. think? Yeah, I use that as a journal, honestly. Hmm. And then I've picked up four hundred followers just by tweeting my own thoughts. As hmm. a journal? Yeah, I use it as a journal. So, like a blog, you mean? Or yeah, kind of like a blog. I, I just put up whatever I'm thinking at the time, even if I'm just like sitting with my friends. Uh-huh. Um, out of nowhere, I might tweet something completely unrelated to what we're talking about. Right. So it's, it's just like, a, I tweet it so that way I'm able to forget it. Otherwise, it's just going to be in my mind. Well, I'm curious about this, and I think, you know, I'm wondering uh, if we could use this to measure the effects. You know, after you tweet something, do you go back and look at the tweet to see how many retweets and how many likes you got on that? Uh, of course, yeah. It makes you feel good, right? Dopamine right. is releasing your brain. It's addictive, too. Yeah. And, like, looking at other people's tweets as well, mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. it's addictive. And uh, I probably honestly should follow a, a lot less people, and mm-hmm. I should reduce the amount of time I do spend on it. Sure. And... See, I use it as a catered news source. So, like, I want to be in tune with, like, and the byproduct of all this is, you know, we've all heard of echo chambers. Now, now I'm kind of going on a, a separate tangent. Is sure. that you have to be able to see what every a good amount of distinct groups are saying in order to make sense of it all because we all live in our own reality. And it, that's true. It's, it's a good way to get catered information to see the discrepancies between different me, uh, media narratives. Right. Um, so, I mean... I think my favorite part was um, watching uh, well, who the Native American at the um, 
March for Life parade. Or yeah, right, yeah, right. the Covington kids. Yeah, the Covington kids. Oh man, that was something. That was fantastic right. because one side was just. Wait, what's the Covington kids? I, I probably live under a turtle. Like, so, even though I, I like, I'm so connected to social media. Yeah. Like I just don't follow mainstream media at all. So I, like I'm kind of like. Right. I, I know generally what it's about. Some Native American guy was drumming. Yep. And yep. then mm-hmm. some smug a kid, a kid was, kid, was smiling. Some kid, yeah, it was just it was like a would red it move. Make America Great Again cap, right? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, and this is what I would say is the most widely accepted story was a few months ago uh, at the March for Life, there was a group of these uh, white kids with uh, Make America Great Again hats on. Right next to them was a group called the Black Hebrew Israelites. And the Black Hebrew Israelites were saying these crazy things to the kid about uh, genocide and all these other things. So then the kids started shouting their school chant back. And then out of nowhere, uh, this group of Native American activists led by a guy named Nathan Phillips came up into this group of children and Black Hebrew Israelites. And there's an hour-long video you can watch that actually details the entirety of what happened. But the snippet you saw on social media and mm-hmm. the snippet you saw on mainstream mm-hmm. media was this singular moment where Nathan Phillips is pounding on the drum and giving a chant and this kid uh, is standing there smiling. So yeah. essentially people put this out and you had a whole explosion of hatred mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. I remember Reza Aslan I think tweeted, have you ever seen a more punchable face than this kid? Yeah. There was were, this one retweet about uh, Reza Aslan's like, and they retweeted it. Um, yeah. Like Reza Aslan's face is very punchable as well. <laughs> yeah, it's probably well, the, it one of the, the most punchable faces. faces. <laughs> right. Well, people people went nuts. People exploded, and then everybody, you know, saw the whole video, and then they realized, well, wait a minute, this kid didn't do anything wrong. All he did was stand there and smile. So of course, a lot of these news outlets like CNN, mm-hmm. who had interviewed Nathan Phillips, and this Nathan Phillips guy, he claimed to be a veteran. That later turned out to be false. And it, it was a it was a big hoax. People people were very upset with the the media after that. But I, I mean, I would say that that w- that's a prime example of why a lot of these outlets are not to be trusted anymore, and mm-hmm. why what we're doing here is I think what's really going to help people having these honest conversations about things. Yeah, and I I think the best part and we have to realize is that we can we can have these conversations where they're not so supercharged and scaled up. Sure. And we need it in order to uh, go forward and, and not have arguments in bad faith and not talk past each other to really get to the stuff of it. Because other times uh, we're, we're getting nowhere. The, mm-hmm. the, the meter is not moving forward as it should be, especially in a, uh, a country that's made for uh, consensus and for us to no, all. It's con- made for not consensus, bro. It's well, meant well, for I mean, ideological or, diversity. Or, yeah, that's why freedom of speech yeah, is a yeah. thing. Uh, that's why like, we're all here as well. Mm-hmm. I guess my assumption is that's only where we're going to go forward. We we need to see our disagreements in order to find the synthesis. Yeah, find the synthesis. Have the have the dialectic and then and then the synthesis. Is, Wasn't it like it's called a caucus? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. discussion. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever you want to call this. I'm curious though, um, in terms of this whole media question. Uh, you know, currently, obviously, people go to any number of different sources. A lot of people go to independent sources. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys go for most of your news, would you say, if there is one place you go? Twitter and BBC. Twitter and BBC. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I like uh, a lot of Cernovich's stuff, Mike Cernovich. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard of him. You've heard of him? Yeah. So on Wikipedia, he's considered alt-right. But oh, really? Yeah, but oh, wow. he really isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he he made this one documentary called Hoax, which I highly recommend. It's about um, 
the, the lies, the straight up lies that mainstream media has. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We, we can save that discussion for another podcast. Sure. Um, what about you, Zane? After yeah. after you give your answer, sure. and after Tom gives his answer, I wanted to switch up the topic sure. a little bit okay. yeah, about uh, heuristics. So yeah, I listen to MSNBC and Fox just just because I know they have the most viewership um, yeah. in terms of fact checking Politico, uh, and then Reuters and BBC. Uh, those are my. The three, my what I consider the most neutral and diverse uh, information. Very good. Uh, well, I tend to listen to a good number of different places. I'd say number one is CNN, uh, even though a lot of the time I don't trust CNN. I would say my big three are NBC, CNN, uh, Fox. Fox. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just because I think amidst all that partisanship, I think you can – pick out the slant and then mm-hmm. amidst all of it you can sort of gather together mm-hmm. what exactly the story is i don't really think that there are a lot of news outlets left um or actually i would say i don't think there's any news outlets left that truly provide neutral journalism so mm-hmm. i think we're just left to pick out among the uh more partisan outlets are you familiar with this one fallacy called the fallacy of like the middle uh-huh. so that basically says that the middle path is the right path. That's yeah. the fallacy, which is not necessarily correct. Yeah. So there, so I, I would imagine that you would think that the CNN is considered leftist. Uh, I would say that they're more left-leaning, and I would say that they get their facts wrong a lot of the time. Okay, they get their facts wrong, then they're not facts. <laughs> well, okay. There it is, so, yeah. So, uh, and then Fox News is considered right-wing, mm-hmm. right? So oh, that definitely. way, the... So the fallacy is that the truth lies somewhere in the middle in between those two. Uh-huh. So that's not necessarily the case. The, the truth may not even necessarily lie between those two. It might be beyond the right wing or it might be beyond the left wing or it might be just beyond the scope of uh, both. Well, that's that's not necessarily how I see it. I, I see it more as I'm given these news outlets. One side is presenting this form and spin of the facts. The other side is essentially pointing um, to what they've left out. And so a lot of the time what I might do is I might discount one story over the other. But what I'm saying is that it's valuable to get those two ideological spins in order to pick out which ideological spin you're going to go with. Not necessarily that you need to mix the two of them together because a lot of the time they do fundamentally disagree. I mean, I I think it's hilarious. I'll see my Fox News thing on my phone. But you're kind of also accepting the dichotomy that exists there by... Well, yeah. I mean, are you going to deny that there isn't a dichotomy? Yeah, I think de facto you have to because people give them um, credence. They think it's a worthwhile news source. So in order to be tuned in and not be caught blindsided by certain political arguments, I think he's right. That that slant, you have to see it. Like this uh, to give an example of the Mueller report, or at least the summary by sure. Barr this weekend. Yeah. I saw What I saw was for the past two years, I saw all these more left-leaning news outlets talk about, oh, how... Th- how Trump is just going to have a horrible day. We're going to find out right. in all the ways he obstructed justice. Well, when it came time for them to cover that four-page summary where Barr said uh, that he he is free of most um, ob- obscure – what am I trying uh, – he did not obscure the law. Yeah. Uh, obscure. He did, he did not obstruct the law. Yeah. Um, or break it. They didn't – you also get a, a chance to assess how uh, truthful or how accountable they're going to be to their past claims. CNN, they, they all went around the table providing their expert analysis, but it was that awkward uh, um, almost whisper in the back, like, oh, we can't, we might have gotten this wrong. The American public was sold a narrative that Trump was uh, – he was a bad guy from the beginning. Yep. On Fox News, they read out the whole four pages, uh, and if 
you listen closely, you can tell Barr, you can hear Barr saying, while Trump might be um, clear of many of these charges, he's not exonerated from the way he may have acted with the media. Now, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Fox News, of all places, uh, was able to give you that where CNN, MSNBC couldn't. So yeah, and I mean it's I, I might sound a little bit postmodern here, and I don't like postmodernism at all. Mm -hmm. But there is a certain uh, kernel of truth in the idea that everybody has bias and everybody mm -hmm. should be suspected or and or questioned. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just I wouldn't say that it follows therefore that you need to accept the the middle of the two arguments. I would say you just need to analyze both arguments and then accord with the bias that you think is more logical, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, because I know that makes 100% like sense, yeah. and I agree with that, sure. like, very much so. So just a point of clarification, of course. Right. So the point I wanted to make from beforehand when I told you to give you guys his opinions mm -hmm. on uh, whatever the thing we were talking about, mm -hmm. uh, was that, uh, are you familiar with the idea of heuristics? That mm -hmm. the more times you show something, the more that infects your brain. So yeah. do you yeah. believe that the world is getting better or worse? Zane first. I think in terms of heuristics, human nature is going to take forever to change. But I do think social media and media itself is relatively new, especially in the uh, ways... I'm saying you. What do you oh, think? Do I, you yeah. think the world is getting better or I, worse? The world is getting better. I'm positive. I, okay. I'm an optimist. Usually a pessimist, but on this, I'm an optimist. Okay, you? Uh, I tend to think the opposite. I don't necessarily think that the world is getting better. I think we move in the direction of sort of uh, problems that are now more exacerbated because of the nature of technology. So what I mean, well, for the past 2,000 years, we've had the ba same basic struggle, which has been there's been great conflict caused either by ideology or resources, uh, followed by a time of great peace. And I think what we've seen in the last 100 years specifically is more people have been recognizing that they need to do good in the world, but that's only because the first half of the 20th century was so bad. So I think things are good for now, but things are not going to remain good. And I think that the next time things actually do turn bad, uh, it does have the potential to be catastrophic. And especially with this uh, heuristics issue, I, since human nature itself, like Zane is saying, is going to take uh, a long time to change, I would go further than that and say that it won't change right and that this we are flawed individuals who are just kind of um kind of bound to eventually mess things up but that we will be able to recover is where i say the optimism part of it would come in so the reason i mentioned that is because okay six percent of americans agree that the you or that the world is getting better mm -hmm. okay well, actually I don't, I don't know if it's six percent of americans or six percent of millennials okay but yeah the vast majority of people agree that the world is getting worse mm -hmm. right when the reality is that's not true okay mm -hmm. like life expectancy is increasing mm -hmm. um, all the human development index factors are improving mm -hmm. right yeah so why do people have this idea that the world is getting worse well from the what earns the most clicks from news sources? Good stories or bad stories? Bad stories. Bad stories, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So, and because bad stories as well, they tend to linger longer in your mind. Right. Okay. Losses are hard. To lose something is a lot worse than gaining that same pleasure, right? Sure. So, like, losing $50 mm -hmm. is a lot worse than, uh, what's the opposite of losing $50? Like 50, uh, gaining $50. Gaining $50. Okay. Yeah. The hurt is a lot worse than 
the pain or mm-hmm. the, the hurt is a lot worse than the pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So uh, because of the way that positive news and negative news lingers in your mind, mm-hmm. that affects your entire worldview. Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you realize like how insane yeah. that is? Like, yeah. I, honestly, I think it's affected you as well because you you do read a lot of news. Well, right? I mean, I, don't I didn't, we all? No, because for me, uh, I didn't even know what the Mueller report is about. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know uh, the uh, the Native American thing. All I all I saw was that one uh, video on Twitter mm-hmm. where the guy's just banging the drum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I would say when I consider what makes me adopt that view, I would not say it's the news at all. I would say it's it's history. That, that makes me adopt that view uh, more because I tend, if you look back at the history of the world, you tend to notice these sort of, um, these sort of things that are emerging. And I, I think it is more of a, an ingrained philosophical view because um, I do watch the news and I do tend to look at uh, certain news stories over others. But holistically, I think the argument you're making is one I, I've read before, which is by Steven Pinker, that the world... Enlightenment uh, now, right? Right. The, the sort of enlightenment idea that we are, in fact, getting better and that there's there's progress to be had. And mm-hmm. the reason I'm very suspect to that is not because, oh, well, you know, this is happening with Trump. My first example wouldn't be to point to that. My first example would be to point to the 19th century when people would think the same thing, when people had these progressive ideas that we will be able to attain utopia. And then, well, the 20th century happened and essentially that had that, that brought that idea just crashing down. So I, I would say this, that when you v- imagine utopia, when you imagine us approaching utopia, I would say the very concept of utopia itself is suspect. Because I believe that if you could have maximal life expectancy, if you could have some universal basic income that allowed you to get everything material you could possibly want, you still wouldn't be happy. And you would still do something bad just to prove that you are a human being. Yeah, well, things are still getting better, though. Well, I would say if you're talking in terms of life expectancy, then and yes. Social, social things as well and economic but what is, things. What does that mean? Infant mortality rates have gone down. Sure. Maternal health. Sure. Um, uh, morbidity, which is right. not diseases that kill you but cause a reduced um, life quality. That's gone up sure. in terms of uh, diabetes. Right, and um, I don't deny that. I, and I think those are wonderful things. But I think it would be naive for us to say that this is just the way it's going to remain, that everything's just going to inevitably inevitably get better. I, I mean, I actually am with you on that sentiment insofar as have you guys heard the Joe Rogan podcast with Tim Pool? Oh, yeah. uh, he's an investigative journalist yeah, and a, I'm a big fan of his. Twitter CEO. Yeah. Um, he, uh, in this um, interview, he told uh, Jack Dorsey, I believe that's the, yep. the CEO's name. I've seen it. He said that um, all these social media sites, all these different businesses are part of the you know social media or the narrative apparatus, which, whatever. Uh, Eric Weinstein calls it the gated institutional narrative. Right. Uh, check that guy out. Yeah. Um, all of them have this bias, uh, uh, whether it be in Silicon Valley or mm-hmm. wherever else, in that uh, the snowflake doesn't think it caused the avalanche. Or uh, each time they let something slip, like um, um, the Native American beating his drum in the political fallout, because you know all, all these senators, all these all our legislators are going to take a political point over you know getting to the core of the issue. We're dealing with the superficial game of politics, and uh, I like what you said earlier. Um, Politics is downstream from culture. Yeah. And what you're saying here is that culture uh, is going to be more inclined to our, our, our 
not our better selves, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be more destructive. Uh, and that these companies uh, steering us into the future don't see their own bias and that they're going to continue this way mm-hmm. with a they certain slant. To, they have to because they're companies, right? They want to... Uh, ma- they want to maximize the amount of revenue they get. How do they do that? Maximize the amount of attention that they get. How mm-hmm. do they do that? Yeah. Maximize the amount of negative news stories that they can get. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Uh, put a little bit of a slant in it. Put a bit of a slant on different news stories. Getting out their news stories first. Mm-hmm. Um, making videos. Making mm-hmm. things that are like breaking news. Everything's breaking news. Mm-hmm. When is something not breaking news now? Mm-hmm. But I see. Uh, Two parts to that. One is um, for those that stick. There's a lot of people that are disenchanted, and and I think we're becoming uh, we're we're scrutinizing it a, a bit harder, and we're expecting more of these um, businesses that have all this power. And right. That's exactly what Tim Pool said. That uh, we we have to make sure that that's at the forefront of conversation. Uh, and Joe Rogan responded, "Oh no, if we keep having the conversation, we'll be good." But uh, Tim pointed out that that might not be the case, and I, I can, that's why I agree with your point. Well, with with big corporations like Twitter, for me, it's it's kind of a double, it's a double edged sword because uh, I would consider myself very much um, mindful of the uh, the good that capitalism has brought the world, and this sort of goes to your point of how we've gotten so much better over the past five hundred years in terms of. Uh, material wealth and um, life expectancy. You know, I believe that's an outgrowth of capitalism. But at the same time, I am very, very suspicious of big corporations. Mm -hmm. And so there's this duality. And, you know, I can't quite make up my mind as to Mm -hmm. which which one I favor. Because on the one hand, I do believe that the free markets should be able to operate uh, and make money because that's what produces good for society. But at the same time, when I see what Twitter's doing with there's, free speech. There's a negative externality associated with the right. maximization of revenue and profits for mm-hmm. these companies, right? Yeah. So like when a factory starts producing a bunch of clothes, it's also producing a bunch of pollution as well. Mm-hmm. So you got to regulate that somehow. Right. And the question is, is, are we at the point where government needs to put their foot down, come in and say, you can't be doing this to people? And, and I think if it maintains a current course, that might be it. And that in itself will be very controversial. So what's CCF now as a result? CCF is... The Collective Coalition for the Future. Mm-hmm. And, and that means that we need to now bring that scrutiny and make it more accessible. We have to get outside of these traditional narratives. Right. So, I mean, that's the cause uh, that what we're What do you mean break outside for. of the traditional narratives? Um, so... Uh, Oh uh, well, uh, bleh, what am I saying? The issue of abortion. Are, are you a baby? You want to first. You have to stake out the dichotomies, the the opposed ideas. Pro life and pro choice. Yes, for example, or are you open borders or closed borders? Right. As long as you can, these. I mean, on on their face, you just have to uh, point. Um, the or go discrepancies. meta, and, or yeah. just go meta and say, I don't care about any of these issues. I, yeah. I care about economic policy only. Yeah, talk about the policy themselves, not the Good. political sticking points. We could yep. talk about Andrew Yang in another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andrew Yang is Yang Gang. That is that de- yeah, Yang Gang is definitely a topic for another time. But I, I think we should we should probably wrap up now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we should. So uh, in closing, I would of course echo everything both of you guys have said about the purpose of constructive coalition of the future. And essentially, you know, what we want to bring you guys is that alternate story mm-hmm. that is more simply just natural. Uh, conversations from normal everyday people, which I think is at least 
baby steps towards getting towards what the truth of a lot of these issues is. Mm-hmm. And where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at ballybullet.com. Uh, I'm a writer and now a podcaster, but uh, you'll see a majority of my written content there. Uh, tune in if you're feeling intellectual or you want to learn about uh, some fun, quick stories, SpaceX. As for me, you're going to find me on YouTube, Tom Fogarty 2000. How do you spell uh, that? Uh, that'll be F-O-G-A-R-T-Y, and that's all lowercase. Obviously, 2000 is the number. It's not a uh, it's not a, a word or anything like sure. that. And you can find me on Twitter at American Zabiha, A A M E R I C A N Z A B I H A. Very good. Yo, thank you.